and welcome to episode eight, season two of the IntelliCast podcast. My name is Adam Jolly. How's everybody going? How you doing, Brian? <laughs> I'm doing great. It's good to be back. I feel like probably like you do, we were gone the same amount of time. Yeah, I don't do this anymore. Yeah. We were in Austin for, I felt, a little long, but it's good to be back. It was fun. Yeah. As always, IntelliCast is brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. That's EMI underscore research on Twitter. You can reach us at IntelliCast1 on Twitter. My own personal Twitter is Adam Jolly. And if you want to be a guest on the episode or have some topics you want to talk about, you can reach us at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com. <laughs> I have completely forgotten how to do the podcast. <laughs> what is happening? I think it was because we did, like, the last time we did, like, three podcasts in a row. Yeah. Released them all in three days, getting ready to yeah. go to SampleCon. Then we go to SampleCon. I don't know what we sell anymore. And then I'm back here, and it's cold outside. It's dark when I leave. It's dark. When I, yeah. I'm out of it. By the way, I was worn out. We did three, those three that you mentioned in one day. And I don't know if you saw Jamin's tweet today. He, he did 18 interviews in one day. You know what? You think you're better than me? What is Jamin doing? You think you're better than me, Jamin. You probably you are. But I think he's in, off. And he's in Europe. I, I don't – maybe that's how. He does 18 quick hitters. Well – Where's the euro right now compared to the dollar? All <laughs> right. To do What's the conversion on podcast? Brexit? I don't know. Uh, so this week, uh, we're back from SampleCon. It was awesome. Thanks for everybody that said hello uh, at SampleCon. I think most of the people that listen to us were at SampleCon. Like, a lot of people mentioned the podcast and mentioned talking to us. Yeah. Um, and I just got such a such a rush from SampleCon. Yes. Uh, I mentioned this in some blog I wrote somewhere. Um, it was so weird. Like it was a little intimidating when I first got there because this is the first time I've been in this big of a public since I got the new title. I'm also on the board of SampleCon, and so it was like super intimidating. But there was no group I would rather be intimidated in front of than like this our market research group. Yeah, these are our um, peeps. These are just normal ass people, and like the people that come up to you and talk to you, and they nobody's. This should be so competitive. Right. right. Like right. there are people there whose purpose is to sell to where somebody doesn't buy from you anymore. And they're better than like you, their product is better than your product. And there's no feeling like that. Right. There's so much of collaborative type story. And everybody is, I guess everyone's selling to each other. Everyone's listening to each other, trying to see what someone else is doing, trying to see how you could help somebody and partner to make things better. And it was just uh just pure bliss. Yeah. It's, it's a whirlwind. And I was thinking, gosh, we could have finished more content. Like we ended at four o'clock one day, but then I was thinking some of the best things that I learned at SampleCon and my best times were in the happy hours and the conversations yeah. with people that you couldn't have if you had a full day of content. For sure. Like I had great conversations with Andrew Cannon. I love him and Howard Gershowitz. And like, yeah. I mean, he's been around working in the industry for 40 years. It's, I mean, it's awesome to hear yeah. his stories. Um, talking to the Lucid people like Courtney, who our guest, our guest is today, and Patrick, and love talking to the Burke people and getting yeah. their perspective. They're kind of quiet at the conference, but I mean – they're legit um, powerhouses. I loved it. Um, I can't wait till next year. Um, yeah, I have so many different ideas that we can do for next year. Maybe how SampleCon becomes something. I, I just have so many more hope for SampleCon this year than I've had in the past, and I'm super excited for it. Yeah, I think it went. It's going from like a small, intimate conference to something big. Yeah, and you can see it. Everything about it was bigger. Like the yeah. hotel was big and nice, and there was more people and there was more content. It just felt bigger. I agree. Um, uh, you want to do a Mount Rushmore real quick before we jump in? We might as well. Mount Rushmore's. Uh, so one of the things that happened while we were in Austin, I was in Austin for five days. And during the course of five days, I had 15 tacos <laughs> and probably, to be honest, 12 to 20 margaritas. 
all I was running off of triple sec and carnite carnitas. Basically, is what I was going off of the whole time I was there. And so Mount Rushmore today would be Mount Rushmore of either taco meats or margarita flavors. Okay. You go first. Um I didn't have I had neither a taco nor a margarita while I was there. What were you doing? I, you sausages? We talked about eating a bunch of I sausage. Had, oh, the breakfast sausage at the conference was amazing. I had a barbecue, some oh. kind of sausage every day at least too. The breakfast was yeah. one of the best meals I've ever had. Really? Conference food. It was amazing. Huh. It, it was all organic and like gluten-free. It was amazing. Oh, my. Um, K-Tree. My number one on my list is going to be the White Russian. <laughs> yes. I saw you drinking many. Ru- I don't Russian know what guys. happened, but I I don't know. Some, I must have watched The Big Lebowski, but I probably had as many White Russians as you had margaritas. And yeah. so my number one is going to be Well, let's just change Russian. this to like sample kind <laughs> beverages or foods. Okay. How that? All right. So yeah. you had White Russian. Good. Yeah. Uh, my number one, uh, I had a jalapeno margarita at a bar or a restaurant with some peers in the industry. And I had, I wind up having more than that. I do not like the taste of tequila. Yeah. I do like peppery stuff. It was an intense heat at the beginning and then quelched off. Unbelievable. Yes. I associate it now with Austin. Jalapeno margaritas. It was great. That's amazing. Where else would you get that? That's amazing. Oh, man. That's why you go to, that's why you go on the road. Yeah. You can't get that. You can't get those ingredients here. Right. <laughs> what else do you got? Um, my number two is going to be this pizza that I had at a restaurant called Via 313, I think it is. Okay. And there's a little story around it. My wife is gluten-free, and so we struggle with eating foods like that, right? Especially yeah. good food. And so I found this restaurant. We got there Saturday, so we had a couple of days to play around. And found a restaurant that had what they called as Detroit style pizza, which is kind of medium crust. Yeah. It's really hard to find thick crust, gluten free. So I'm like, I'm gonna take my wife to this this restaurant and get some good pizza for her. I look it up. It's somewhat within walking distance. So we walked down like Sixth Street in Austin, yeah. which is a big entertainment area. Sure. If you've been there. We keep walking, we keep walking, and we get to the address and there's no via three thirteen. I'm like, oh my God, where what is going on? And I was like, oh, we have to get an Uber. It was raining. The first, it was like rainy and like 38 degrees. It was yeah. horrible. And then I'm like, oh, no, this might be a food truck. So uh, there's a bar. I think it's called Buford's Backyard Barbecue or yeah. something. Yeah, that's what you texted. Yeah. <laughs> so we go, and there's a food truck in the back. And I was like, oh. And it's open air. You had to sit in the patio in the rain under heat lamps. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, Sarah. We could go somewhere else. Yeah, I wanted to take her to like a nice dinner where she yeah. something nice. She's like, and if you know my wife, she was probably preferring this yeah. Buford's backyard barbecue with eating pizza in the rain. And so we ordered it. It was like the greatest pizza. Loved it. My wife loved it. The best pizza she's ever had in her life. Sat in the rain, watched the Duke. Duke played Virginia that night of basketball. It was, yeah, it was yeah. a good night, but it was awesome pizza. That's my number two. Via 313 pizza. I would go Ooh. with uh, Saturday. I It was a drink and then food experience. Um, I went to St. Elmo Brewing uh, on kind of the south side of Austin. It was all stouts. Oh. I had a coffee stout and a chocolate stout there. I think one was – it was called Waco and Neo, I think. Um, unbelievable. And then uh, we went over to Easy Tiger, who I shouted out the last time, and got like their like – basically carb plate and it was like homemade beef jerky and two pretzels and like three baguettes and like a tray of different types of butters and dips and carved up after spending the day at the brewery it was unbelievable that was my number two that's awesome yeah 
Um, I only have one other one. I'm just going to have three. Yeah. My third one is Stubbs Barbecue. Yeah. This is kind of a similar story. Stubbs Barbecue, I found out, has a gospel brunch only on Sundays. Jeez. And I thought, hey, this combines two of my favorite things in life. Barbe- oh, you can eat barbecue. Yeah. And I, I wanted to try a lot of different things. And gospel music, which I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Um, especially Texas style gospel bar, uh, gospel music, and so called them up. They're like, "Oh, well, there's a three week waiting list. You can't get in." So I'm like, "I'm not taking no for an answer." So I, I just walk down there. Again, it's 40 and rainy, and we meet a couple from France that didn't speak English, and they're waiting for a table too. And the restaurant says, "You know what? We'll just put a new table out there." We sat there and listened to gospel music on a Sunday morning for two hours and ate a lot of barbecue. Oh, barbecue awesome. was okay. Yeah. But it was just kind of the experience, you know, like most things. Yeah. Like the gospel music was awesome. It was just a good experience. So if you're ever in Austin, I would definitely go to Subs Barbecue for gospel brunch. Oh, that's awesome. I would go, uh, I'll just go three, two. Um, tacos in general. So having <laughs> going to Torchy's. Oh, and yeah. the tacos there. That was awesome. Uh, one day I woke up and hopped on a bird uh, <laughs> and went down and had some uh, Magus. Margus? Tacos is like a breakfast taco. Okay. That taco deli. Um, I also ate a taco deli at the airport on the way back. <laughs> I had some fish tacos at the Iron Cactus. Uh, some tacos for some food truck on Sunday. Um, I had a lot of tacos. That's amazing. Well, that's what you have so to do in Texas. Yeah, it was all... Not white Russian. It was all beef. and I'm not a big chicken taco person, but anything else. I had a sausage taco. Oh, yeah, man. I loved it. It was great. Um, our guest today is Courtney Williams from Lucid. She is the executive director of quality at Lucid. Uh, she's doing a lot of how they're scoring their quality of their panels and kind of putting out these reports of, you know, it's not just sloppy aggregation. They are really looking at the quality of panels and grading things. And it's an awesome initiative um, for somebody as powerful in the industry as Lucid is to be doing with us. And uh, I love Courtney. Yeah. I'll put that out there too. One of my favorite people, very genuine, passionate person. That's awesome. Well, without any further ado, here's Courtney. Joining us now is Courtney Williams from Lucid. Courtney, how are you? I'm great, Adam. How are you? I'm doing really good. It's uh, I'm still kind of catching up, being in Austin for a week in a different time zone, even though it's just like an hour away, like felt like a different world. Yeah, Austin is its own very special place. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> uh, well, Courtney, one of the first things we start out with every week and when we bring in a guest is kind of talk through like how did you get into market research and kind of hearing everybody's origin story so so how did you first get into market research you know my mom would tell you it's because i have this compulsive need to ask why i started doing that when i was a little kid and it drove her crazy and i think most of us do that right and then maybe we kind of grow out of it but the truth is i didn't um, and i've listened to a whole lot of people talk about how they got into marketing marketing research over the years and The most common answer that I hear is that most of us fall into it. And, you know, I kind of did and I kind of didn't. At the time that I transitioned into the market research world, I was in home building of all things. And I remember this very specific day that shifted my career completely. Um, I was building homes and then I was focusing on technology management in my MBA program. The, The president of the state of Texas uh, in um, Lenar Homes found out that that's what I was doing. And, and, and we were at a time in the, in the um, home building industry that we were putting computers into the sales offices, which you might know a little bit about how old I am by <laughs> hearing me say that, right? Um, but he came to me and he said, hey, I'd like you to do this. And, you know, I'll put you back into the field afterwards. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, great. I can definitely use some of the things I'm learning. And you know, go and apply them, et cetera. And so I went and did that. And it was like 60 different communities. So it took a while. 
And then once that was all done, we put a bow on it. Um, he asked me um, if I would come and oversee marketing in the Dallas Fort Worth area for them. And I went, well, I don't know anything about marketing I and mean, nothing. And he said that that was great because I didn't have any bad habits to recover from. And by the way, if I would move my focus, my major, if you will, in the master's program from technology management to marketing, he would pay for the rest of it. And I went, yes, sir, I'm in marketing. Yes, absolutely. So I couldn't say no. Um, and I and I went into that and they paid for the rest of my degree. And I discovered very quickly that I'm not at all a creative person. I mean, like to the point that the drawings that I would do in school would bore a five-year-old, you know? So right. <laughs> I'm far, far more interested in finding answers to questions. And it made me like super attracted to the data side of marketing. So, yeah. you know, understanding what the best decision is to a business question that's based on data and not just gut really got me going. And, you know, I, I learned a lot during that time. Um, and in particular, that particular guy was really married to this map of the Dallas-Fort Worth area that he would publish every Sunday in the newspaper. And I hated that map. I thought <laughs> the map was stupid. I thought that it was right. a really dumb way to try to push traffic. And I got this bright idea to write a little survey. It was my first survey to put into all these different communities. You know, we had like 60 communities and say, hey, so-and-so, how did you get, how, how'd you hear about us? How did you come, what brought you into this neighborhood? What was it? And we gave them like a list of things and had unaided awareness and aided awareness and so forth. And the exercise itself, looking back, you know, I think, oh gosh, that was a terrible survey, but uh, Did you have a lot of grids? Right. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was one of those things where the, there were so many questions on it that we had to reduce the font size. And that was really terrible. <laughs> and, and I think and then, of course, we had to, you know, code all of it manually. And, you know, it, it was good, though, because that exercise taught me that, you know, if you use data and you get ideas from others and you don't just think about, you know, the decision maker is the person who knows everything. And in fact, oftentimes the decision maker is the last person that should be suggesting what to do because they're so biased. You know, they're not in the market to buy the home or in the market to, you know, do the thing or, or, or do the shopping or what have you. And so they really just don't have any real context as to what what, what should be done. So I was in love after that. I've, I've been working to facilitate collection of data quality answering business questions ever since. So I know that's a little bit of a long-winded answer, but there yeah. you have it. No, I think that's, we get a lot of like curious, right? And that's how a lot of people get into it. And I think that's been kind of a change over the last few years where more people are thinking about like, they want to know answers rather than thinking about market research as like some huge basket full of a lot of different eggs, right? It's just like trying to find the answers and being curious about how things works or how people feel about certain things. And that's just a lot more simple, you know? I mean, to me, I'm always thinking, how can I explain market research? And Patrick kind of said this during his state of the thing. Like, how do you explain market research to your parents? Or how do you explain oh. your job? Like, I would, like if I were to go home on Thanksgiving break in college and meet some girl's parents, like how would I explain what I did? You know, and I think curiosity is like such a huge part of that. And and I think we're getting more comfortable saying things like that rather than go into like the whole ins and outs of, of research itself. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, because the, in that setting, after all, people's eyes tend to glaze over if you start talking to them about methodology and best practices and, <laughs> right. you know, analysis. It just it doesn't work <laughs> at the cocktail party or the Christmas gathering or anything else with family and friends. So, yeah, I just I tell people that I like to help others answer why. And it's a, it's a fun thing to get to do. That's awesome. Courtney, this is Brian. Um, great to see you last week at SampleCon. I would love to have a discussion around your thoughts on SampleCon overall. What are some of the good topics or discussions or just general thoughts? And um, we haven't recorded anything on the podcast about our thoughts, so Adam and I will probably jump in as well. Sure. Absolutely, Brian. And yes, it was really great to see you. I mean, in fact, we met at SampleCon last year. 2018 was my first SampleCon, having just at that time recently joined Lucid. So this was round two for me. And I really love it. I was kind of nervous about the first one because at the end of the day, right, I'm, I'm, I look after quality at, at Lucid. And so the program that I am, am looking after is grading, if you will, all, all of these different uh, sample providers that work with Lucid. And I was kind of terrified of, you know, how are they going to feel about that? Um, at, at first, but this time um, it was like the opportunity to go and just collaborate with friends that I've made over the past year. And of course, the past 15 plus years, because, you know, as, as big as market research is, it's actually pretty small. There's there's a lot of people that you see um, come back over and over again in different roles or at different companies and so forth. So um, I really enjoy SampleCon and I'm always very satisfied when conferences in our industry tackle topics that I see as our fundamentals. And I think that SampleCon this year in particular did a really good job of that. And I, what I mean by those topics are quality, security and the experience, both for the business side of sample provision and for researchers. But perhaps more importantly, and the theme that I really enjoyed this year for people who participate in our research that kind of fuel those answers. Yeah, that's awesome. I completely agree. I love the topics. And that's, I've been fortunate to go to most of the sample cons and it's probably my favorite conference because of what you just mentioned that we, we're not afraid to discuss all the challenges in our industry. And even though we're all competitors and partners um, friends mm -hmm. in most cases that we can tackle the really tough questions. And I don't think other conferences do that. So I love it this year. I agree with you. And I think it's actually setting the bar higher because the first day when I came back, I was a little bit disappointed at the solution aspect of the conference. Like we didn't solve all of our industry problems, which is ridiculous to even say, but then I thought about it. We've set the bar so high that I almost am disappointed if we don't solve all the problems. Yeah, well, you know they say quality is an endless pursuit <laughs> of, you know, you know it's not it's not a sprint. It's most definitely a marathon. And I was like you, I came away from the conference both encouraged and you know really fired up about some of the conversations and discussions, but also dismayed, frankly, because we spend a lot of time talking about and working hard to improve the issues, but we still somehow tolerate horrible experiences that you know, turn people away uh, and, and, and hurt and harm the future feasibility of the industry. And, you know, it's a struggle. It, it will continue to be. Um, but all we can do, in my opinion, is is just never quit, never quit trying to make it better. Yeah, I thought that was kind of an overarching theme this year was like respond and experience. I think so often, like 
we've kind of poked at that by saying, you know, don't do long surveys, don't do grids, don't give, you know, bad incentives, things like that, but not like an overall experience. Even to where like the last day, like, I don't think it came across my panel, but before we went on stage, we were talking and I was, um, Valerie from JD Power was like, you know, at what point did all this cool new things that we're doing, like facial coding and like all these other like great ideas, we can get all these insights. When does it become like not respondent fatigue in surveys, but like respondent fatigue for market research in general? Like when when is like our, our innovation surpass what a respondent wants to do? Um and maybe maybe that's like an evolution of the question and we'll and we'll get there. Maybe that's beyond sample. But that's what I walked away with was, was thinking like, man, we've got all these things, all these new cool things. Not even I'm not even gonna say the word blockchain. But like what do we expect from respondents? Because I know what I do. I know if someone asks me to like download something or do something more, I'm like, eh, I'll stop here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, Adam, the, the thing that I try to remind people, and I guess it's for, for us, because we look this in the face every day, it's, it's something that's top of mind all the time. But it's interesting to me how sometimes when I just off the cuff tell someone, hey, we're, we are asking people to do something that competes with anything else they can do on the internet. And there are some pretty cool things you can do on the internet. You're asking people to make a choice to take a survey, like get good at it or or die, frankly. For sure. I mean, that's our competition. Like my competition isn't Dynata or somebody else. It's Netflix. It's Hulu. It's some game I don't even know about yet. Like, Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So it was really interesting. You know, the, the, the different speakers and, and so forth, by the way, for me, it's always enjoyable and instructive to be in the audience when Lisa and Mark co-present. I, I enjoy them. I think they do really well. Um, they've obviously known each other a very long time and um, are very much thought leaders. Um, I also decided that I'm going to get really involved in a, a little bit more publicly, I hope, in supporting participant engagement. I'm going to talk to Andrew Cannon later this week at GRBN to check out what opportunities we have a little more formally. And of course, we had a few lucidites um, speaking or on panels or moderating this year, which was great for me because it took the pressure completely off from a presenting perspective, which I do a lot. And it instead let me spend some time listening and really engaging with other attendees. I, I, I really enjoyed that. I loved what you mentioned is kind of the conversations on the side. And one of my favorites was actually talking with you. It was the last day in the morning. We were sitting with Valerie from JD Power and we were discussing the conference to that point and gamification came up. And I think both of, I think you and I share, we're kind of like more traditionalists. And so we're questioning, Oh gosh, how do we implement this? It's a great idea, but how do I test it? And I love that she kind of stepped up and said, I can test this. And she said, I have a year long program. I can implement something like this and test it. And so those are the kind of conversations that I love as you're getting viewpoints from people that maybe have a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It was really refreshing to like you. That was one of my favorite conversations at, at the conference, Brian. And, you know, in my head, of course, thinking back to my many, many years in sample provision and doing ad hoc research, I went, whoa, who is going to commit to the time it takes to develop that 
on a case by case basis. And of course, she snapped me right back into reality saying, hey, I have a year to think about it. And syndicated research has lots of time to implement those kinds of things very thoughtfully. So it was, again, super um, good to just be reminded that, hey, there are a lot of different views. You know, not everything is on fire all the time. Let's right. get it done yesterday. So, Courtney, you mentioned a little bit at the beginning, like what you're doing at Lucid now, doing a lot of the quality controls and other panel companies and, and sample suppliers. Tell me more. Tell me more about what you're doing at Lucid and what your role is there. Oh, gosh. Um, so much goodness is happening at Lucid. Uh, we we are just a, a fun and just exciting place to be a part of. Um, you know, I, I remember when I started a, a, about a year and a half ago now that a few months later, I posted on LinkedIn, my gosh, I'm still enjoying getting up and going to work every day. Like, that's great. I'm so happy to be a part of this. And, you know, the the, the dynamics are, are fantastic. It's a very future forward looking company that's heavy into technology and advances in that regard and so forth, but all, also extremely committed to quality and transparency. And, and the role that I get to, to, to be in at Lucid is 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 really gratifying for the place that I am in my career at this point, because I was ready to leave the industry before I came to Lucid. I really was. I've been in it for a very long time. Um, I, I was thinking about it earlier today in preparation for this conversation that we're having. I had spent more than 30% of my life and more than 60% of my adult life in market research. And I thought maybe I should do something else. Right. But then Lucid came to me and said, Hey, you can be that person who who gets to help elevate the bar and really advocate quality in the industry in a way that that moves the needle and i i, I couldn't i had to do it i just had to and you know now a year and a half in or so i'm i'm getting to do that still every day and and the scaling opportunities that i'm getting to realize for our um, supply partner or monetization quality program is fantastic. You know, we've gone from one country, we're in five now, we'll be in 15 by the end of this year. We're improving the reporting for it. We're, we're, we're making it faster, better, um, and, and more informative to all parties involved from the, all the way from the buy side to the supply side. Everyone is going to be able to benefit from um, the program in some way that's quantifiable. And that makes me really happy to be able to say out loud. And then you know, we've been laying the groundwork for some time and, 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 and are pursuing how we formally plan to continue advocating respondent experience and supporting researchers in, in just obtaining the highest quality insights possible. Um, and there's lots going on, lots and lots and lots. In fact, you'll see, I'm sure, quite a bit um, from you know, our marketing team and other kind of thought leadership type of stuff from folks at Lucid on um, our various different social media outlets and LinkedIn and so forth. Um, but yeah, just getting up and being excited about it every day is something that I'm, I'm extremely oh, awesome. grateful for. What a great story. I love what you guys are doing at Lucid in terms of quality. <laughs> and I, th I think we share a kindred spirit, kindred spirit in that neither of us have panels. So EMI is an aggregator. Lucid is an aggregator. There's a few of us out there. And there's such an mm -hmm. opportunity for you guys and us. In some ways, it's a burden to create more transparency and you guys are lifting the bar in terms of quality. So, so we appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's hundred percent. Um, you know, it takes a village. It is such a team effort. I cannot take credit for it alone. We have 
so many different um, people and levers that get pulled to, you know, just every day make sure that it's happening and providing secure environment for these people who, you know, raise their hand and say, hey, I'm willing to support your industry. So it's a really good place to be. Um, it's it, it, And also, I'm so happy about how Lucid and, and your organization and others are being very vocal about it, you know, and, and facing the issues head on. There's no avoidance anymore, or at least not in my world. And, and that is, I think, one of the most um, appropriate and gratifying steps that I've seen in oh, our industry awesome. in my time. Well, Courtney, we're going to switch now into a little bit more of the fun topics, kind of our mix on the four P's. And one of the P's we talk about is playlist. So what are the last three songs, or you can go artist. I think Andrew Kennedy did albums because <laughs> he's beyond us. Uh, but what are the last three songs you've listened to? <laughs> okay. So I thought about this a lot, um, Adam. I have got such a variety of music that I listen to. I've been a member of Pandora, so I'm going to say that's the five fifth P there. <laughs> Since they were better known as the Music Genome Project before they actually launched in 2009, so what's odd about that is that Pandora doesn't announce the artist and song. You can, of course, look at it on the app, but if you're driving or doing other things, you shouldn't be doing that. So I actually often have no idea what the name is of the songs. But if you want a few artist examples in the last 24 hours, I've been keeping track of it. I've listened to everything from Hank Williams, Sr., Sakura, Sun Lounger, Adele, Steel Drivers, Queen, and even Bruno Mars. So it's all over the place. And the reason is because I listen to music while I'm doing different things, right? So I have stations for working out, for commuting, for focusing at work. And I'm one of these people who, if there are words in the music, and I'm trying to concentrate, right. I get distracted and I can't deal with it. So for those of you like me out there, let me suggest Chill Out Radio on Pandora. Um, and yeah, that pretty much the only stuff that I can't listen to is any screaming and oh, speed man. metal. You started writing about, right? Hank Williams Sr. Okay, in. Yes. You said the steel drivers too. Yeah. I thought I was the only person that knew who the steel drivers were. That's great. I did. <sighs> I, I have a Pandora station dedicated to the steel drivers. It's my, I'm listening to music with my husband's That's station. Great. Bonus P, do you have a Prince story? How do you feel about Prince? Oh, <laughs> do I have, oh, doesn't everybody? Okay, so in, in 1999, I was a network administrator at a small commercial real estate firm. And I remember listening to Prince <laughs> at midnight. Yeah, thinking, Is the world about to end? <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. yes. Because of two digits versus uh, four. That was my whole last focus. Last P for us time. is perform. So Courtney, what is something that most people don't know about you? What is like a hidden talent or something you like that not a lot of people know about? Okay. So I have two. One, because um, a lot of people actually do know this, but I think maybe the audience that might be listening on the podcast won't. I used to be a semi-pro bass fisherman. <laughs> I'll let that sink in for a Where, second. <laughs> how do you become just semi-pro? Well, um, when at the time I was on Team Skeeter, so I was I was uh, sponsored by Skeeter, and I was only fishing tournaments in the greater North Texas, Oklahoma um, area. Uh, so if you're regional, you're semi-pro, <laughs> basically. 
what it boils down to. And it, that was a very fun time of my life. Um, but I, like I say, actually, most people who know me know that um, the other hidden talent or hidden for, uh, um, thing, hidden talent that people don't know about, because I really don't talk about this very often, is really? I show horses almost every weekend. I had no idea. People, yep. every guest, yep. subsequent guest, just steps it up a notch in terms of hidden talent. We're talking to a lot of talented people. That's amazing. Yeah. So great. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if the zombies come and it's the end of the world, come with me because I will be eating so fish. Great. Trust me, I can catch uh, Well, thank fish. you so much, Courtney, <laughs> for coming on. We appreciate it. Um, I will say, so I, you probably don't remember this because I just remembered it last week when we met again at the conference. I was like, I've met Courtney before. And I remember I was standing by myself last year at SampleCon outside kind of freaking out because this was like when I first started, I want to be president of EMI thing. And I was standing outside by myself at the bar eating and mm-hmm. just kind of enjo- just like melting a little bit on the inside. And you came out and you introduced yourself to me and you were so kind and you were so genuine and you shook my hand and just, you made me feel very welcome and you really kind of relaxed me. And I've always appreciate that. And I'll always think of you in that way. And, uh, I really appreciate it. I reminded myself this year when we we met again at the conference. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I met Courtney last year." That's right. I was outside. Oh, Adam, thank you. That's that's amazing. Yeah, I I have been the person in the room many many times who was terrified. <laughs> so I work really hard to make everyone around me comfortable, even if I screw it up a little bit sometimes. So awesome. No, thank well, thanks you. So that's much, a wonderful Courtney, memory. And, uh, thank you we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks, Courtney. Yeah. Take care, you guys. Thank you for the invite. Thank you so much, Courtney, for coming on the podcast. Um, it was awesome just to talk to her. Um, I love seeing her at the conference. I mentioned the story of like, the first time that we met, and I'd forgotten about it until we met again at the conference. But uh, you had an awesome connection with her too, right? Yeah, she's one of my favorite people. And I uh, connected with her last year at a, at a breakfast at SampleCon. And immediately you can tell she's just a genuine person. She adds a lot to our industry. I'm glad she's at Lucid, even though I guess we're sort of competitors. I don't look at it that way. She helps bring up the industry. So I'm happy to be partnering with her on stuff as well. Who's your MVP of SampleCon? MVP. Could be company or person. Company or person, MVP. I think it's Rachel Altmont. Yeah, she's pretty great. I mean, that's a lot of stress. I know how much she, I mean, we've become all become friends with her, especially as you've become on the board. But she just works her butt off on this and is super passionate about delivering the best experience. She wants to make everybody happy. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, can you imagine trying to make 200 of anything happy? That's not possible. Yeah, but somehow right. she pulls it off. That's my MVP. Uh, yeah, Rachel, uh, Seema. I felt like the first day, like, P2 was everywhere. Yeah. Was that crazy for a little while? They brought all of P2, I think. Yeah. P3. More <laughs> like it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll go with Rachel. Shiv. Congratulations, Rachel. We'll send you your trophy in the mail. That does it for this episode, uh, episode eight of season two of the Intellicast podcast. As always, you can find us on Twitter, Intellicast1. EMI underscore research, Adam Jolly personally. Um, and if you ever want to be a guest on the podcast, hear more about us, or just want to throw us a topic you want to talk about, you can reach us at intelecast at emi-rs.com. Brian, you pumped for the weekend? Super excited for the weekend. I don't have any plans. Hey, me either. Let's go get them. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.